I'm Madison County Prosecutor Rob Wood, and next to me is the Fremont County Prosecutor Lindsey Blake. We are working jointly along with our teams in the matter involving the deaths of Tammy Daybell, Tylee Ryan, and Joshua or JJ Vallow. Madison County Prosecutor Rob Wood is standing in a garden variety white walled conference room. There's a couple of flags behind him, and he's flanked by about a dozen solemn looking members of law enforcement. On behalf of myself, Lindsay, and our prosecution team, we want to express our deep appreciation for the efforts of the dozens of local, state, including Idaho Attorney General, federal law enforcement members, and Arizona law enforcement who have been working to gather evidence for a year and a half to bring justice to Tammy Daybell, Tylee Ryan, and J.J. Vallow. Even though J.J. and Tylee's remains had been discovered a year earlier, no one had until this point been charged with their murders. Lori and Chad had been charged with concealing or destroying evidence related to the deaths of Lori's two kids, charges they have both pleaded not guilty to. Lori and Chad Daybell were indicted on two counts of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder and grand theft by deception for the deaths of Tylee Ryan and J.J. Vallow. Lori and Chad Daybell were also indicted on two counts of first-degree murder in the deaths of Tylee Ryan and J.J. Vallow. Even though it took 18 months, no one was surprised that Chad and Lori were charged with the kids' murders. I mean, the kids were found buried in Chad's backyard. Nothing has come easily or quickly in this case. For months, authorities looked for the children. Lori refused to provide the police with any information. Instead, she and Chad took off for Hawaii. So the police had to broaden their investigation, look at other people who might have some kind of knowledge about where the kids were and what happened to them. I've told you about Lori and Chad and the terrible things that authorities say transpired since they met. Things the couple deny. But in the new indictments, there are so many signs that they played a significant role in the deaths of their loved ones. There's been a lot of debate about who was the ringleader, whether Chad put Lori up to it or Lori Chad. But police believe there's more to this case than just two people who brought out the worst in each other. When prosecutors announced the new indictments, they suggested that there was a third person involved, another co-conspirator who materialized in the darkness and proved willing to do a lot of the dirty work. Lori's big brother, Alex Cox. I'm Sarah Trelevin, and this is Madness of Two, an original podcast by USG Audio. Yeah, how you guys doing? Nice. You guys look good. My name is Alex Cox. When I was in the eighth grade, I actually learned that my real name was also my porn star name. This is Alex Cox, Lori Vallow's brother, doing stand-up in Phoenix, Arizona in 2010. Driving up tonight, I drove out from uh, Queen Creek, and uh, it took me 11 hours. Standing on a small stage in front of a curtain backdrop, Alex is balding and a bit doughy. He's wearing rumpled jeans and a blue shirt that look like they were just picked up off a bedroom floor. I'm thinking, 
should there be a law that if your maximum driving speed is lower than Nancy Pelosi's IQ, you shouldn't be driving anymore, should you? He agrees. Okay, so his comedy wasn't for everyone. But friends say that Alex was a sweet, somewhat aimless guy who loved his family. Someone who might be eager to please or to feel useful, to belong to something, but who was more often than not alone. Unlike his sister, who married over and over, had three kids, and lived in a series of McMansions, Alex never acquired any of the conventional trappings of adulthood. He seemed to occupy the margins. He lingered on Phoenix's stand-up comedy scene, where he mostly did impressions of cartoon characters at open mic nights. I didn't know a ton of his life outside of comedy. Um, I mean, there just wasn't a lot to know. This is Alex's friend, Jill Kimmel, sister to late-night talk show host Jimmy Kimmel. To Jill, Alex seems sort of adrift but content. I knew that his day job was he was what was called a honey dipper, which meant he drove a truck where he would go pick up used porta potties at the end of the day and bring them back to the station and like they had to be cleaned out, which is probably one of the worst jobs I can imagine a person having. But he had a really good attitude about it and he was very kind of a um, live and let live. Like Lori, Alex grew up a member of the LDS faith, but his relationship with the church was complicated. Well, he told me that he had been excommunicated from the Mormon church at 18 for premarital sex. But he seemed really like he was very much still interested in the Mormon faith. Bex Tracy is another friend from Arizona. Even though he had been excommunicated, he was still kind of culturally Mormon. You know, he didn't drink he seemed to still have a kind of Mormon lifestyle. Is that accurate? In retrospect, I think that is accurate. Growing up, Alex and Lori were not particularly close. But as adults, that changed. Their lives became more entwined. And when things got bad for Lori, Alex would step in. Let me take you back 20 years. This is before Chad and Lori meet, and before Lori starts to flirt with really extreme religious ideas. She's married to husband number three, Joe Ryan. He's older and more successful than 28-year-old Lori. The marriage initially seemed like a perfect match. Yes, so my brother called me, it was sometime in 2001, and told me he had met the one. This is Annie Cushing, Joe's sister. She just had this way of making you feel like her guest of honor. You know, she just seemed genuinely caring and gregarious and all of these really positive things. Not long after Joe and Lori were married, Lori became pregnant with Tylee. They were both absolutely over the moon about being pregnant with a little girl. They already had Tylee's name picked out. I had a lot of fun with them. But it wasn't fun all the time. This one night, there was a big storm, and the roof leaked. And so uh, it went through the drywall and stained the wall, and um, you know, it was it was leaking onto the floor in the living room. And... 
Joe just really lost it. Um, he started screaming. He was dropping F-bombs. It was scary for all of us, but especially for the kids. And I just remember all of us kind of freezing because no one knew, how far is this going to go? Did you feel sorry for Lori? I did. I was thinking in terms of if this is how he's acting in front of guests and in front of kids, how is he behind closed doors? So I asked Lori if he had ever been violent toward her, and she said yes, he had. Do you know how long after that Lori filed for divorce? I think it was in less than a year. As divorces go, this was a bad one. Lori had definitely changed a lot from this positive, sunshiny type of person who, you know, saw all the best things in life and just seemed to be resilient, seemed to be be able to get past really negative things in her life. She still came across that way to some degree, but it was darker. Like, it was much more manic. Lori wasn't just furious about the marriage breaking down and the way Joe had treated her. She became convinced that Joe had harmed her kids. Anytime Joe was mentioned, Lori would start campaigning against him. And when I talk about Lori campaigning against him, I mean, I'm talking about like really dark stuff, like talking about very specific allegations um, of sexual abuse toward Tylee. I've got lots of experience doing family law. This is on the 9 to 10 scale. Keith Taniguchi was Joe's divorce lawyer. She said that Joe Ryan was sexually abusing Tylee. Tylee happened at the time to be, like, two years old and barely able to talk. Lori didn't just accuse Joe of molesting Tylee. She also accused him of molesting her older son, Colby, the child she had with her second husband. The divorce, the accusations of sexual abuse, were all too much for Lori. And Alex was seeing his sister become increasingly desperate. There's a turning point in my life that turned me to the temple. So I had had, um, been married to someone who was very awful, who raped my children. This is a recording of Lori from 2018, talking about that time in her life. It was shared with the media by Joe's sister, Annie, though it's unclear where she got it. I was going to murder him. I was going to kill him just to stop the pain and to stop him coming after me and to stop him coming after my children. And I would go through the scriptures and find all the things, like if he comes against you once, if he comes against you twice, if he comes against you three times, then you can kill him. I did not have a murderous heart. I just wanted to stop the bleeding. Alex was deeply troubled by his baby sister's pain. And despite the sexual abuse allegations, Joe had visitation rights. Alex was livid that Lori was forced to turn Tylee, still so little, over to a monster. 
So Alex decided to take things into his own hands. I was pulling up to Bongo's, which was the place where we would do the open mic. And um, I think he was texting me, asking if I was going to be there that night. I said, yeah, I just got here. You know, we're going to start the show. Are you going to come out? This is Jill Kimmel again. And he said, he, called, he said to me, um, well, do you know where I can get a piece? And I said, a piece of what? And he said, a piece, like a gun. And I said, why would you ask me where you could get a gun? Because I'm Italian. And I started laughing. He said that he was going to get this gun because the stepfather or former stepfather of his niece and nephew was molesting them. And he was going to get a gun and he was going to go to Texas where they lived and he was going to pistol whip him. I'll confess to you guys. Have you ever had something that you knew was the right thing to do, but it turns out that later on it was a, a felony? <laughs> Alex mostly followed through with that plan. In August 2007, Alex met Joe in a parking lot, pulled out a taser, and attacked his former brother-in-law. This is a true story. I found out that my ex-brother-in-law was a, a pedophile, so I took a stun gun and I discharged it right in his nutsack. <laughs> And in Texas, uh, that's a felony. I'm thinking, you know, maybe I'll get a handshake or a parade or something. So they arrested me here and they held me out here in jail. And I learned something when I was here at Maricopa County Jail. Alex got three months for the assault, but he didn't seem contrite. He sounds proud of stepping in to protect Lori and the kids from her abusive ex-husband. But here's the thing. Joe was eventually cleared of any wrongdoing. Police and social workers who investigated the allegations of sexual assault against the kids concluded it did not happen. I believed in God despite what I was going through. And now that I can read the Bible for myself, I can see that they just created their own religion. This is the story of a mother who claimed to be an emissary of God and a daughter's search for the truth. House of Prayer. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. This case just did not make sense. I believe a lot of it was uncalled for, and a lot of the allegations were bizarre. Tom Ware was designated Tylee's guardian ad litem during Lori and Joe's divorce, the person who's supposed to represent a child's best interests when there are concerns about her safety. I tell you, both these two kids went through a series of assessments as well as Joe. And all the professionals involved uh, came back with a conclusion that it just doesn't make any sense, uh, that we can't. Uh, none of the professionals involved can find any evidence that this has actually happened. These kids went through CPS investigations, and later I brought on a sex therapist, and uh, she too came up with the same conclusion that these allegations of sexual abuse do not make any sense. Tom says that a lot of things about this whole situation did not make sense, including... Lori's response to it all. Most p- 
parents who talk about their child being sexually abused don't seem to be happy about it. In this particular case, I had the impression that Lori was uh, happy that all this happened. Tom got the distinct impression that this was more about Lori's hatred for Joe than anything else. He saw Lori as unstable. She seemed to live in a bit of a fantasy, even then. A lot of, of what I would consider uh, Lori's statements are um, bizarre. And at the time, Lori believed that Tylee was actually a reincarnated version of a sister that she had lost in the past. As we get further into the case, we find that Lori uh, is, is saying that she's having visitations from a deceased attorney that represented her for a while. So there was a lot of strangeness, uh, bizarre comments, beliefs, to the point where, you know, I think we could call these uh, delusions. In the end, Lori did get what she wanted. Tylee and Joe's relationship became estranged, and in 2018, Joe Ryan died, an alcoholic, broke, and alone. But for Alex, it never seemed to matter that the police had cleared Joe's name. And through all of this, Lori and Alex grew closer. And as Lori fell down the rabbit hole of extreme beliefs, she wanted to take her brother with her. I've talked to others in Lori and Alex's family about this time and about their relationship. Their brother Adam told me that Alex completely believed everything Lori said, and that Lori had started working hard to indoctrinate him into her way of thinking. Lori gave Alex doomsday podcasts and books, sharing her beliefs that the world was ending and they were going to lead the way. She was convinced that Alex had to be part of her divine plan. And she said that she was visited by angels who told her that she was on the right path. They said to me, we're bringing our brother like you were bringing your brother. And I thought, how do they know that my excommunicated brother, who I love, who is now awake and knows everything I know, how do they know that? Because they know everything that is going on in our lives. Alex's assault on Joe would not be the last time he used violence in the name of protecting his sister. Both. I'm in police and an ambulance. What's the emergency there? I've already told you how Alex shot Charles Vallow, Lori's fourth husband. Uh, there was a, I got in a fight with my brother-in-law and I shot him in self-defense. Okay, let me get the medics on the phone. Alex said that Charles had grabbed a baseball bat, threatening Tylee and Lori. And is he hurt or is he alive? Or? Yet again, Alex stepped in to save the day. Yeah, there's blood, he's, he's not moving. After Alex killed Charles, he followed Lori and the kids to Rexburg. He even lived in the same apartment complex. And together with Chad Daybell, brother and sister started preparing for their mission. And I got to see myself as a warrior fighting for the savior in the pre-mortal world. And I went to other worlds and I fought 
And I was one of his strongest warriors. And I saw it. And he showed me so that I could never deny it again. I was not sweet and I was not innocent. I am old. I have fought. I have fought in many, I fought in this war for a millennia. And that's who I am. And I came down here to be a warrior and fight. By late 2019, JJ and Tylee would be missing. Lori wouldn't help the police. And people were starting to wonder what role she and Chad might have played in their disappearance. The police were suspicious, too. But they would also turn their attention to Uncle Alex. Alex Cox is kind of this mystery figure in all of this. This is Rich Robertson. He's a private investigator in Arizona who was hired by JJ's grandmother to help find the kids. And according to Rich, Alex was one of the last people to see J.J. and Tylee alive. As the investigation progressed while the kids were being looked for, they also found photographs of Alex uh, traveling with Lori and the kids in Yellowstone Park. These pictures were taken on an overcast September day. Alex, J.J., and Tylee were all bundled up in sweaters, posing in front of the famous geysers. JJ and Tylee are smiling. They're clinging to each other, wrapped in one of their final hugs. Alex looks older, grayer, paunchier than pictures I've seen of him from years earlier. But he's smiling too. The loving uncle. The family protector. Tylee went missing the next day. Two weeks later, on the day JJ went missing... Lori told a friend that J.J. was out of control and acting like a zombie. So she asked Alex to come and get him. So Alex Cox, already perceived as the guy who is doing whatever he does, is the enforcer, the hitman, whatever you want to call him, he's the guy who does it on behalf of his sister. While much of the evidence has not yet been disclosed... The new indictments against Lori and Chad suggest that Alex was willing to do the dirty work in a situation that got really, really dirty. It took nine months to find the kids' bodies. Nine months of agony for the family. Nine months of silence from Lori and Chad. But then the police decided to check Alex's cell phone. And bingo. They discovered that his phone had pinged off the towers near Chad's property in Rexburg, right around the time police believed the kids were being buried in the backyard. And that's how police found them. Now, it's a series of events that led investigators to the specific sites on the property, but it boils down to Alex Cox's GPS cell phone coordinates and tracking I'd love to talk to Alex about all of this. I'd love to ask him if he really believed his sister's kids were zombies. But in December 2019, three months after Tylee and JJ went missing, Alex collapsed. 911, what is your emergency? Um, I have uh, a older male here named Alex. He's, uh, he just passed out here on the, in, my, in my bathroom. 
Okay, is he awake hey, right baby. now? He's passed out. Alex's stepson Joseph found him. Two weeks before this, Alex married a friend of Lori's named Zulema Pastenis. Police say she shared the same doomsday ideas. We need to get him on his back. Can you put your mom on the phone? Alex's wife knew that her new husband hadn't been feeling well. Okay, ma'am, the paramedics are pulling up, but in the meantime, we need him to get flat on his back and we need to give him chest compression. Does she know how to do CPR? Yes. She knows how. Okay. That morning, a friend who had heard Alex wasn't feeling well called to offer a blessing. A media report has confirmed that the friend was Chad Daybell. Okay, do you see the paramedics now? Yes. Okay, Joseph, you did a good job. I know that was really scary, but thank you for your help. Despite best efforts, Alex died that day. He was 51. Officers who arrived at the scene suspected drug use, but a medical examiner determined the cause of death was a pulmonary embolism. He had blood clots in his lungs. His blood pressure was extremely high. Was Lori able to persuade Alex that Christ was coming back soon and the world was about to be plunged into chaos? That it was time for him to pick a side in the impending battle between good and evil? That JJ and Tylee were on the wrong side? How did he go from loving uncle to alleged co-conspirator in the kids' deaths? Alex's friend, Jill Kimmel, wonders if he became convinced that he was doing the right thing. And so, yeah, now watching, you know, the stories and hearing everything unfold where the children had been missing and she thought that they were zombies or whatever it was she had said. And I mean, it's a definite progression of a person who has been led to believe or been dragged, brainwashed to a certain, you know, like conclusion where he thought these kids were zombies and this was the best thing for them and he participated in it. There's a theory that cult mom Lori Vallow got Alex to do her bidding. But that doesn't totally track. What seems more possible is that there has long been something both very appealing and deeply wounded about Lori. That people were drawn to her natural charisma, her warmth and openness, while also believing that she was somebody in need of protection. And one of those people seems to be her brother, Alex. Family members and friends clearly suggest Alex fell down the same religious rabbit hole as Lori. And falling for crazy ideas isn't as uncommon as we might like to think. Next time on Madness of Two. I see parallels with Lori Vallow. I see enormous differences as well. But I I feel as if I understand how she could go down a path so irrational to the rest of the world, and yet it would be rational to her. In fact, it might be the only choice she saw as viable. This episode was produced by Beth Karras and me, Sarah Trelevin. Additional producing by Pacent Matar. Our production assistant is Danya Ali. 
Mix and sound design by Philip Wilson. Voice coaching by Athena Karkanis. Our executive producers are Kathleen Goldhar, Katrina Onstadt, and Stuart Cox. Our USG audio team includes Jessica Grimshaw, Josh Block, Jennifer Sears, Daniel Welsh, and Craig Bloom. Theme music composed by Boombox Sound. This is an Antica Productions podcast in collaboration with USG Audio. For more information, go to usgaudio.com.